Yes. Phil's the next one. Um, he's going to introduce himself. Yes. And after that, he's going to speak. Stockholm for nearly two years, and uh, we are now gathering about 15 to 20 adults uh, and half a dozen or so children. Uh, and uh, we have just very simple rhythm of life where we uh, pray together, pray and worship on a Wednesday evening, uh, and then on a Sunday morning we meet in our home. Uh, we eat together and we study the Bible together uh, and invest some time in. Uh, singing and, and teaching our children, all small, uh, collectively all under five, so it's kind of uh, that age group. Um, but we've grown to, yeah, say 15 to 20 adults, um, and we've noticed that, that we live in sort of, we're spread out, so we have a, a number of people who live at the north of Stockholm, we have a number of people who live nearer the centre, and then there's a number of people who live near, nearer us, which is kind of in the middle of that, that line. Um, and so our plan is uh, to work to multiply that. So if you've been talking about missional communities and gospel communities, we're trying to build the church into missional communities from the ground up. So rather than taking an existing group of people and going, okay, now we're going to be, this is how we're going to organize into missional communities, we're, we're doing it from, 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 the, from scratch. Um, and so our plan is, is to do it relationally, uh, relational mission, after all. Uh, and uh, so one Sunday a month, we started this month, um, we'll carry it all the way up to the end of the year. We're going to take a, sun, a weekend off, uh, and in each of those three places, they gather people, friends, uh, into something, commu- kind of building a sense of community and fellowship and togetherness. Uh, and then over the course of the year, say, hey, we're thinking of, of starting a group, doing this more often, would you like to join us? We're going to look at life, you know, just encourage one another in life and look at the, you know, what the Bible has to say and look at it from a kind of Christian point of view. Would you be interested? That's the kind of invitation we plan to make. We did the first one uh, last Sunday in three different places and one of the three groups did really well and the other two didn't quite get going, including our group, the one that we were a part of. So one group did really well and had... Uh, six families come. Um, three families go to are Christians and, and t- go to um, different churches. Three families who don't go to church at all. So they gather this group um, uh, and, and there was a real hunger. Do it again because people don't have community, often feel they don't have community, um, don't have a sense of a place where they belong. Um, and so we create, we, our, our heart and hope is, is to create those things, loca- you know, wherever we live and wherever we are. Um, and then in kind of conge- connection with that, we're going to start uh, five meetings uh, once every two months from, from April uh, where we try and gather the crowd uh, and gather people from these different places, introduce them to one another, share a little bit more about who we are, 
very simple worship, preach, meal together. Um, nothing complicated. Um, so that is um, what we'll uh, be doing. And um, so do pray for, uh, do, do pray that we, we still love, haven't seen anyone saved. We'd love to see someone come to faith. We'd like to see that kind of breakthrough in that. But we're, we're, we are on mission and we're trying to do it by building families and sense of connections and local groups uh, in as many places as we can around Stockholm. So that's, um, that's an update on GraceChurch.com. Um, let me see if I can get this uh, ready to... Uh, will this go up there, will it? That would be... That would be great. Is that likely to work? I've been given the... Um, one thing I wanted to advertise, if it won't come up while they're trying to bring that, is um, in, in, in May, we've invited Terry Virgo to come to Stockholm. There he is. Hurry. Uh, to come to Stockholm uh, and to do you know, his wonderful messages. I, th- I just still is so great to hear on grace. And, and our experience has, found, uh, has been that as we've talked to Christians in in Stockholm uh, and churches in Stockholm and, and as we just connected with people over the last couple of years is that we found that grace is not well understood um, and is not well grasped in the lives of many Christians. They don't really know that they don't really know what grace is. Uh, and uh, so we've, we want to be a blessing to the wider church uh, and we're also wanting to be a blessing to across Northern Europe. So we've already got people coming from Latvia, Estonia, Finland, uh, as well as England, coming, uh, you know, coming across, and Sweden. Um, and so if this serves you, if it's, it's, it's easy to get to Stockholm from Amsterdam uh, or from other places where you have people in Northern Europe particularly, um, do bring them along. We want to use it as a way of connecting church leaders to who we are and what we're about. We also want to do it as a blessing to the church so that as Christians really grasp who we are in Christ, well, that's a blessing, isn't it? That's, uh, that helps the church as a whole. Once, once people in the church go, oh, yeah, that's who I am in Jesus. I've been set free. Um, so that's a good thing. Um, I, have, if you, I have lots and lots of flyers I can send you if that would be a, a serve to you. If Please just bear in mind, and if you can't come, please do pray for us. So I've been given the... Um, task of trying to pretend to be Tom Shaw. Um, I, think, I think Tom Shaw um, from Canterbury Church did this in, in England, and he is Mr. 20s to 30s. He, Mr. Mobilized, you know, he's got it all, and he can't be here. So um, you've got me, uh, and I've not got any expertise in this area at all, just to fill you with encouragement and hope at the start of this talk. Um, and the first bit that I'm about to do um, is going to be painful for some of you. You're not going to enjoy the very first part of, of, of this. Um, is there anyone here who was born, let's see, after 1994? Okay. One. 
And we've got, who was born here after 1984? One, two, three, four, five. Okay, this is the bit that some of you aren't going to like. After 74? 64. (laughs) You see, I said some people aren't going to like this. Okay. <laughs> um, we're talking about we're talking about reaching people who were born after 1984. Okay. People who were born after 1984, just right now, 20s to 30s. Uh, obviously, we know there's an ongoing commission to take the gospel to every generation. Uh, it's not progress if you reach the unreached in far-flung nations, only for your own nation to become unreached while you're doing it. So there is a commitment from the church to take the good news of the Lordship of the risen Christ to every generation in our own nation. So, and it is, of course, just like it's a it's a demographic necessity. The current People who are between the age of 20 and 30 are our next wave of leaders, church planters, cultural influencers, and perhaps most importantly of of all, in the context of Europe, they are the next generation of parents. Faith renewal in Europe requires action not just now in the short term, but with the long term in sight. Christianity has shrunk so far from the centre to be so excluded on the margins of so much of European life that we need to have the long goal in mind. We, we pray, you know, it's, not, it's not to say we don't pray for revival and, and breakout of uh, you know, some, something extraordinary which sweeps people in to the kingdom of God but that's going to be a work of the Sovereign Lord. And, and we just need to also just bear in mind that we need to have plans in place that will work, give our lives to the renewal of faith in Europe. And, uh, and that means thinking long-sightedly as much as we're able to. And so it requires increasing the number of families whose parents raise their children to know and fear the Lord, to know and fear Jesus. Uh, and to love Jesus. So, raising the, the children in the light of the Christian story and not in the light of the secular story, which is the case now. So, the future of the church rests not just in terms of the leadership we raise up, but the parents we raise up. So, uh, we're going to have a, just a look at the... And as we just saw, just in the hands-up exercise... There is not a huge percentage of people in the room who are in the bracket that we're talking about. Okay? Now, there might be all sorts of practical reasons for that, but there aren't a huge number of people here who are in the bracket 20 to 30. And if you are in that bracket, I want you to pay particularly close attention to what I say in case I get it all wrong. And you go, that doesn't sound like me or my generation at all. Um, just to 
just to give us a little illustration, let's take the midpoint for those born 25 years ago, so in the middle of the 20s to 30s generation. For them, there has always been an internet. See? Those who are laughing are the ones outside of that, <laughs> outside of that bracket. Because we remember, we remember dial-up mode, we don't, you know, when there was no internet. And there has always been an internet for someone who is 25. Because the, in, the inter- yeah, what's the internet, says someone. <laughs> right, I need to just rewrite my talk, we've got some work to do. <laughs> for those born 25 years ago, there has never been a Cold War. They've never lived in the period of the Cold War. There has only ever been one Germany. Phones have always been mobile. What's a phone that's not mobile? You know, it doesn't make sense. Apartheid was something you learned about in history. Not something you lived through. Not something that was part of your history. It was something that you read about in someone else's history. The world changes and is changing fast. We know it, but this is just just a few little things to... Just to say, what has happened in the last 25 years? So if you were, if you were born 25 years ago, these things are, are, are history or taken for granted. So let's just look at the, some of the facts of uh, Europe. I've tried to do my best to come up with um, some of the best statistics, demographics that I could find um, in a short space of time. So taking a few comparison points, I didn't know who would be here, so... Um, this is this is all generations. Uh, I believe there is a God, Britain 37. You can see the figures yourself. Um, and you can see how high the number of those who are sure there is no God. So just the, or conversely, the lack of certainty in Europe about whether there is a God. So in the Netherlands, that would be 69% at least and not at all clear about whether there is or there isn't a God. Which is a big number of people. They couldn't give you a very good answer if you asked them. Or they might give you a good answer. No, there is no God. That's their clear answer. Um, This is just the scale of some of the challenges and just the landscape we're in. We'll get to the positive bits in a a bit. Um, Who goes to church? Statistics in, in England are much easier to find, much harder to find for Europe or at least much harder to find in Europe in English. So I can understand that. Um, so from two, in 2004, take Sweden for example, only 5% of people went to church. So that's 10 years ago. You can pretty much bet your, your house that it's not that high now. Um, in the Netherlands, I only got figures for monthly so I imagine that reasonably by looking at the, the numbers, you could half it from 2004 to weekly. So people who go to church weekly would probably be around 8%. I don't know if that feels right to you, to you guys. Again, you can be pretty sure that it's not that high now. Um, uh, and the numbers never, again, they will have gone up in the last six years. So the numbers of people who never go to church, these are, these, are, these are the lowest that they're likely to be. It's much likely to be much higher now. The reality is. Okay, so that's just uh, 
challenge that we face. This is where it gets uh, interesting, I hope. Um, spiritual religious. Significant percentages of people are still open to describing themselves as religious or spiritual. And uh, I'll explain the final column if that one doesn't make sense to you in a minute. What they don't see the need is to be part of a church. Okay, so how they see themselves and what they do, there is a disconnect. We might say, well, if you're spiritual or religious, obviously you should get to people who are spiritual or religious. You should do something about it. People these days generally don't necessarily see that connection as who they are and what they what they must what that means that they should do about it. So they're on the spectrum of living out their beliefs. Going to church means you're pretty committed. But people are still open to describing themselves, I'm a spiritual person. Uh, and those numbers are more positive. And what's interesting about the generation we're talking about, so if I can have uh, Yope, if you can come and stand up. And who was, uh, who's Dutch and under 30? He's, <laughs> he's Dutch. He's Dutch. He's Dutch. He's Dutch. So, the, the, the last column says that Josh's generation, 9% are more likely to describe themselves as spiritual or religious than Yorp's generation. So actually, the more hostile generation is here. Okay? Republic. And other places. Not just them, but another. Just to illustrate, it's not, it's not universal in Europe. But Britain, Holland, Sweden, than the, the, the retiring, not, excuse me, retiring generation. <laughs> Can sit down. Forgive, just to show that that's, there is, there is a, a, there's a regrowing openness to issues of kind of faith, spirit, they're more likely to describe themselves as spiritual or religious. However, because they're less hostile, Less against, more kind of open. It doesn't mean that they're interested. Um, so, analysis suggests that the current generation of 20 to 29-year-olds is less hostile to religion and religiosity, but this may be little more than a generation best characterized or described as benignly indifferent. So, as in, you don't hurt me, I don't hurt you. Yeah, okay, you're religious. Response to people of faith. Yeah, okay. We're, we're, we're cool with it. Uh, uh, but not necessarily, again, moving them to action on it. Um, but there is hope, I think, for Northern Europe in particular. So the higher numbers of younger spiritual people are found in the northern countries of Europe with a Protestant history. An interesting statistic. The demographics of these thousands... Thousands of young people that were surveyed and interviewed. These were, these were done in uh, European value surveys. So it, it surveyed people in, in like 20 countries across Europe, thousands of them to get uh, a good... So these are, these are reliable statistical kind of uh, evidence for what pe- young people are thinking about themselves and thinking about the world that they live in. And it showed that there are higher numbers in, the, in Northern Europe, which is interesting. Um, not what conclusion you might draw from that, just, a, just something just to note and to observe. Um, and so 
we're likely to see increasing numbers of people looking for ways in which they can explore faith or express faith. So that's, there is, there is demographic hope behind our hope, if you like. Um, let, but what is spirituality? Because a lot of young, a lot of young people will describe themselves, use, the, they will shy away from terms of, of faith in one. They'll be much wanting to keep it kind of open. So, spirituality is often developed from a range of sources rather than one particular source. Um, so this is just how they might approach it. So it would be the classical kind of pick-and-mix approach. Taking what they like from one thing, what they like from another thing. There's no, they're not necessarily beholden to one set of doctrines or beliefs in order to come up with what they think about the world. Um, there's no brand loyalty in shopping, and there's no brand loyalty in faith. Um, uh, it's found, spirituality is found expressed in the recounting of experience rather than in expression of dogma or doctrine. So they're more, much more likely to tell you a story of what has happened to them, an experience that they had under the influence or not under the influence, while traveling, while with their friends one night, you know, a party with friends or something that's happened to them, good or bad, that they will have reflected on. It will be seen through the lens of their experience and the experiences that they had, not through a a series of propositions that they've taught or learned. It will tend to focus on this life and rather, rather than on the next. The questions that dominate the lives of people in the 20s to 30s generation and, and not exclusively to them at all by any means is how do I live a satisfying life? Fulfillment questions. So 100 places to travel before you die, 100 films to see before you die, 100 books to read before you die. It's a busy life. We've got a lot of things to do before we die. Um, but these, it's to fill my life with good experiences, to make the most of this, this life. What people don't want to do is actually waste their life, and you'll see, and people will often see a, a full-time career as wasting their life when there is so much of the world to see and to experience. What they want to do is experience it. They don't necessarily want to think about it, they want to just be there, and to be in it, and to be amongst it. So the focus is now my life, making the most of my life, being satisfied and fulfilled in my life. Those are the, that's the lens through which they're asking questions, more than what happens to me when I die. Now, I noticed this in Stockholm as I've been learning to read Swedish and I read the newspapers and I read the, the free one on the underground um, and uh, you read the editorials and but you just get an insight into life, how your average... Stockholmer thinks and uh, really helpful and they're all asking questions of fulfillment they're re- at least once or twice a week I'll read an editorial in the Metro newspaper which at its basic level is a question of the fi- how do I live a fulfilling life now if you think about Alpha the Alpha course what are the questions the Alpha course asks is there more to life than this the big question, what am I doing here? What happens to me when I die? Those are the propositions often promoted using to promote the Alpha course. But they're not the questions 
that people are asking. They're not bad questions, they're just, not, they're just different questions. So, even our most prized sort of evangelistic tool of the last 20 years, the Alpha course, if that's not asking the right... And, and they have seen a lot of young, you know, a lot of people. It's not saying it's not reaching people, but there's a whole chunk of people for whom it's not asking the right questions. They will do an Alpha course, and actually they'll do it for other reasons. They'll do it for the experience. They'll do it for the community. They'll do it for the friendship. They won't do it because it's asking the right questions. Then they'll be on the course and they'll hear the questions, and they'll think, oh, that's a good one. But it wasn't what drew them on in the first place. Do you see, do you see the difference I'm, I'm making? So spirituality is oriented towards human well-being rather than towards like a transcendent God and connecting with God in that sense. Now, that means there are some connection points for us as, as churches. And it's worth thinking about these things in the light of how we preach, what subjects we cover, what we show awareness of in our illustrations, how we create space and place for people to think about these things. Um, so, the spiritual people, the connection point is, is that there's a whole group of people that recognizes that there's something beyond this material world. That actually, the materialism of Richard Dawkins and the New Atheists is not bought into by a large number of people. They are not all hard and fast atheists. They are not all convinced that when they die that that is it. And they're not at all convinced that there is nothing. Most of them think there is something. They just don't know why. They don't know why they think there's something, they just think they do. So there are a lot of people who are open to something beyond. They're not opposed to it. Their interest in spirituality reminds people of the fragility of the earth and the need for its care. So people care about ecology and the environment because it's 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 a life issue. So, for example, if you, if, you, if you lived in China, in Beijing, you would care very much about the quality of your air. The, the, your environment matters greatly because you can't breathe when you go to work. Um, so there are a lot of people a lot of in, in Europe who care about the world and they connect it. It's not disconnected from their views on spirituality. And so, but for Christians, this we have somehow built up a reputation of not being very caring about the environment. I don't think that's particularly true, but I think it's a perception that people have. But we believe in the one who made it all and said it was good. So it it shouldn't be a hard connection for us to make with people who approach life and for whom this is a, a point of value. And associated with the sense of the mystery God is the emphasis on the experience of God. So, so actually, as charismatics, where we experience, it's not, we want to experience and know and live out and we believe that God moves in us and through us and moves us emotionally, he moves us kind of physically, God moves us. We experience God. You can know that God loves you. You can know the Holy Spirit you and moving you. And when we worship, we, say, we talk our language of 
worship is very experiential. It has been this morning. Numbers of you would have experienced God this morning. So it's an easy connection. It's a relatively straightforward connection point in terms of discussion with people because they're open to experience. They're open to experience and mystery. And there's a lot about God that is a mystery. Um, and one of the things that is a turn-off towards Christianity is the sense that we've got it all sewn up. That we know all that we can solve the answers of the universe for you. If you, if you agreed with our sense of propositions, and actually what we can, it's not a, again a perception, and it's hard to battle perception sometimes, but it's a perception that actually Christians have taken history out of the world by the way that we talk about our, our, our certainty sometimes is not the advantage we think it is. Our sense of certainty in the answers we give. So, so a talking about mystery, talking about, as we talk about faith, to talk about doubt, as we talk about victory, to talk about struggle, which we do, but for that, just to think about those kind of things is, is a much easier connection point to this to people for whom they would see the world in this way. However, there are, of course, places where we want to challenge the prevailing mindset. You know? So there are places of connection, there are places of challenge. Um, so fulfillment in life, we would say, is not primarily by just obeying your own inner impulses. It's through your contribution and connection with, with, with others. Through so connection first with God and then connection with others. It's... it's Love God and love your neighbour as yourself. It's not just simply about doing what makes you feel good. You know, that isn't, we would very clearly and robustly say that's not the way to a fulfilled and satisfying life. That those that obey the, the, constantly the impulse to do what pleases themselves will, you, will end up at the end of their days disappointed or with a sense of regret. Those that live their life in the sense of loving God and loving their neighbour uh, will die with at least far fewer, fewer regrets. <laughs> um, and the, so the purpose of Christian mission is to call people to love God and to love their neighbours. And so it, it challenges the self, the, the, the I stand in the centre of the universe approach, which is, a, a, a look, we still live in a very, very individualistic age. We don't see people being, you know, we see people defining their world entirely through the lens of I and my. So all relationships, decisions are justified through the lens of I and my, which is one of the reasons why family breakdown is so endemic across Western Europe, because people make decisions on the basis of I and not on the basis of we or us. So... They're just, all of this is just kind of, just backdrop really to getting us to think about how we engage with, in, in not just in the short term, what do we do, what can we do this, this year, but what are we going to do as a way of being the church that will continually reach out to people in the 20s and 30s generation and, and for the, uh, the longer haul. So, I would just say that the, um, the conversation that there is, happens in the church about cultural renewal 
is really important um, because that's what people are into. How is the church a, a force for good in the world? More specifically, how are you saying that your church is a force for good in the world in which the people you know meet? You know, how can you, how would you say we are a force for good in, and you can point to your mercy ministries, what else can you point to? Saying we're, this is how the church is, is doing good in the world because that's what a lot of people are interested in. They want to know how will the church make the world a better place? It will be one of the things that will draw them in. Um, because, actually, here are some people who are making a difference. That still matters to, to young people, that it makes a difference. So how will your church make a difference in your town? How, how, and, and I think missional communities uh, and gathering people around people, passion and places, musicians reaching musicians, artists reaching artists, getting involved in the cultural life of your town and your city, uh, having people engaged in these things, creating you know, a, a renewal of creativity in churches is good because it, it create, it's continually creating connection points for people who are seeing the church is a force for good. Um, when, when the traditional view is that the church is a static, conservative obstacle to change for good or for, and, and usually means it's, a, it's in the way. Um, so way, ways, suggestions about ways forward, um, I think no quick fix is, there is no magic answer, there is no silver bullet. Um, create opportunities to talk and listen. Study after study that I read and said that Europe's young people have very few opportunities to talk about spirituality with an older and more mature person. What this means is, is there's a deep disconnect between generations. Which would make... The, the, the question that, as I read this, it raised in my mind, would who... What does that mean for my youth teams? As in, are all my youth leaders young? And is that the right kind of, is that always the wisest response? Actually, how could I connect different generations and older generations to the mission of reaching the young so that they are creating spaces for them to learn from the wisdom of those who have gone before? Because actually they're not, you know, young, te- you know, teenagers are always opposed to learning from the, the wisdom of, you know, particularly if it's their parents. We don't want to learn from them. Um, but actually we are open to learning from grandparents. My, grand- my grandfather, either one of them, one of them was a Christian and the other one wasn't, but I listened intently to what they said. They were, they were heroes. They both lived through the war, which I can't, you know, Second World War, they had stories. And when they spoke, I listened. Greatly. That's, you know, I, I adored my grandparents. Um, so again, connecting grandparents to, you know, that kind of mixing of generations, thinking about that. A, a study in 2001-2 of 7,000 young people across Europe concluded that a third of young people in Europe are interested in spiritual issues, but have relatively few opportunities to talk with others that matter to them. 
So if you've got a thousand people in, young people in your local schools and, and colleges, just, that means that 300 of them are interested in a conversation about the life and faith. Okay? So just, just you've got a thousand young people, 300 of them would be interested in sitting down with you and having a conversation about life and faith and what it means. What would you give for that opportunity? 300 of them that could, you could connect with. And actually, the opportunity to connect with much more. Because there'll be another bunch who will, be, who will watch the 300 going and say, oh, actually, I'd quite like to do that as well. A 2010 survey for the BBC revealed that a fifth of young people aged between 18 to 24 felt isolated from older generations. How is it in your church? How is it in your church? Don't assume that because you've got different generations in your church, those generations are connected to each other. And that they know each other. And that they even talk to each other. Just because they're in the same place on a Sunday. In fact, they might not be in the same place. They might, a group of them might just go off somewhere else, might they, at a certain point. Half of them, 54%, had never spoken to a person over the age of 40 in their community. quarter felt ignored by older people. So how do the younger people in your church feel? Do they feel valued? Would they, you might think they, they should, that you value them. Do they think that you value them? That's the question, isn't it? It's not whether you think you value them, it's whether they think you value them. Are their views taken into account? So, so just a rethink about who does schools work um, how it's approached, how we build teams. Studies consistently show that the greater majority of European churches provide little opportunity for establishing real and in-depth relationships that nurture spiritual exploration. So we've got to recognize that we live in post-Christian Europe, and so Christianity is not people's first and f- first choice, necessarily. But they're open to exploring, so we need to be there in order to create spaces for them to do it. So, in supporting the search for personal values for young people, churches in Europe are less and less able to, rep- to rely on classrooms. Sunday schools don't exist anymore, do they? I mean, they don't in England, where my, my, my parents' church that they helped plant 50 years ago in the 1960s in uh, the estate that I used to be a pastor in in England had a youth work 200. Today... They would come, they would, the parents would just send their kids to Sunday school by the hundreds. Today, they'll get very, very few that are not connected to the church. Few, twos or threes. Sunday school has disappeared. So you can't rely on the classroom. And the schools don't necessarily open their doors to, for you to come in and talk to their young people about why they should be a Christian. They might, there might still be some opportunity, but it's not nearly as open as it was 30, 40 years ago, for example. So how do we create those spaces? So here are some suggestions. Oh, Create opportunities to talk and to listen. How can you create opportunities with not just those who believe, those who think, I'm thinking primarily about those who don't yet believe in Christ. Where are the spaces in your town 
where you could create a place to connect with them, given that they are very unlikely to just rock up to your church. They are unlikely to see your church as neutral ground, or even they're not likely to know you exist, maybe. How many young people in your town have ever heard of your church? So, the church, they won't come in there. So we have to think, we have to try and be imaginative and creative and think of another space. We have to close the gap. And this is why it takes time. It's a long-term project. To close the gap between where the church is and where the young, where young people are. Not just schools, but in universities, in colleges, where they gather, in the pubs, in the cafes, what they're interested in, you know, it's, um, so where is your place for people to explore faith? Again, we want you to think about where you do your alpha course. If you've got a build, you know, churches that have buildings, we always do everything in our building, of course, because that's our place for resource. It isn't always the best place to meet people who don't know Jesus. In fact, ranking it on a list, it would probably be much lower down. Um, but we use it because we've, we've got it. I mean, I understand that, but I'm just, I'm just pushing everything out towards the lens of how you connect. So the classroom or the cafe, how you, which approach is more likely to bear fruit is the cafe kind of approach. People are, you know, people who, who spend time listening to the lives and the stories and listening and engaging with that genuinely with their struggles and with their pains and what they think, what their, what their questions are, that, that reaps fruit over time. There you go. Uh, one o'clock. Um, I, I think after lunch, we've got half an hour or so to um, what we'll do. We'll just a few questions which you can break up. And what I'll do is I encourage you, if you're with people from your church, to talk about it as a church, much more helpful to, for you to kind of brainstorm where together as if you're all people near you in your kind of situation and we'll do some questions that you can think about. So a couple just, I'll give you, I'll give you two just to keep mulling over, over lunch so that when you come to get going, your, your kind of, your thoughts have already started to percolate, um, would be how does, how does kind of reaching the people in their 20s to 30s look now in your church? Where, where are you strong and where are you weak? So just do like a really honest assessment. How many have you got? Where did they come from? Uh, as in, did they grow up? You've got young people because they grew, they grew up in your church. Or do you have young people because they came to faith from somewhere else? Again, where the young people in your church came from you say, oh, we're doing great. We've got loads of young people. But then if your honest answer is, is that's because they were all children of the church, then actually you're not, doing, you're not necessarily doing very well in reaching people in the 20 to 30 bracket. Okay, so second question would be, so first is our honest assessment where you're at in connecting with these people. Secondly, what kind of opportunities have you heard of, you know, that in your town, in your locality, that you think, this, these could be spaces. Again, just starting to think about where are the spaces, who are the people that, that, we, that we know, that we connect, that we can learn from, that will help us meet them, to listen, to start with. Is that okay, those two questions relatively clear, not too fl- fluffy and woolly? Good.